Because racism has not ended. <laughs> it's still here. But laws have been changed, but it was not without price and cost. Lives were lost. Lives were lost. But he was willing to lose his for it. In co-suffering love, he, he felt sorry for those who were actually doing the injury. He refused to retaliate. Just as Jesus from the cross refused to call 10,000 angels. He refused. He felt sorry for those, pitied those who had such anger and hate in their hearts, saw that as being the greater evil, and knew out of love for humanity that the only way to win was to love. That's the truth, church. So it's not that we haven't made some progress in the area of racism. There has been progress. But remember, this is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. I just got a few more minutes. And it should be the job of the church to expose and unmask these evils when they rear their head up. principalities and powers of this world have something to hide, and Peter is exposing it. Our own environments, our daily liturgies are forming us just like Pastor Peter. A pastor's job is, to, is in part to help people see the real danger they actually may be living in. Cultural habits and practices become habit-forming and eventually love-shaping. No wonder Jesus says where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. There's a story called the Wallace Parable. Anybody ever heard the Wallace Parable? Where two fish are swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming in the opposite direction who nods very pleasantly. Good morning, boys. How's the water? The two fish swim a little further and the one says to the other one, What's water? Are you aware of what you're swimming in? What are you swimming in? And has it been exposed to you for what it really is? Your life every day is being scripted. But like a Hollywood actor, you have an opportunity to refuse the script that's been handed to you. There's another script, if you want it, that you can accept. The baptism of the Holy Spirit I think is the first wake-up call for most of us. Whoa! There's a whole other world. <laughs> Unseen world. I, I had no idea it was coexisting along beside this one. Whoa! Prophecy, revelation, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. Oh my God. Healing, miracles. Heaven invading earth. <laughs> but I've been baptized into Jesus. How did you learn to be a consumerist? Did someone take you to school and say, no, here's how you consume? It was very subtle ever since you were born to teach you how to be a consumer. 
And the subtle thing that's been told to you and me is, stuff will make you happy. That's the line. It doesn't actually say that, but that's what you're being told. Stuff will make you happy. Listen, if commercials didn't work, they wouldn't be spending the billions of dollars they do annually to sell you a pack of gum. Industries wouldn't be vying for space on the Super Bowl and paying exorbitant amounts of money if it didn't work. You didn't think your way into it. Listen, I think stuff really will make me happy. You were covertly conscripted into a way of life because you were been formed by liturgical, cultural practices that are nothing less than, well, this is what everybody else does. The early church in the first 400 years, listen to this, according to historians, grew by 40% per decade. Compare that to church growth today, even in our country. In fact, most churches are losing ground. That's the bad news. Sad news. But I think the reason we're losing ground is because we're not all that culturally different. Pastors are actually discouraged in the first century in the book of, after the first three missionary journeys happened in the book of Acts, according to historians, biblical historians, pastors actually discouraged going out and witnessing in the fashion that they had been used to in the first wave in Acts. The reason was because it would make the church too thin. They didn't grow by preaching. They wanted to grow by attraction. Attraction. They grew not by how they preached. It was not after those first waves of Peter and Paul and Silas preaching. After that, according to those who write about the church from, from 100 AD to those first 300 years up to the time of Constantine, it grew not by preaching. It wasn't the message. It was the way they lived. It was the way they lived. Page 149 of a book I read recently called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Listen to this. Unlike many churches today, the third century churches described in the apostolic tradition, so this is the early church fathers, St. Clement, Origen, Justin Martyr, did not grow by making people feel welcome and included. Civic paganism did that. In contrast, the churches were hard to enter. Listen to that, hard to enter. They didn't grow because of cultural accessibility. They grew because they required commitment to an unpopular God who didn't require people to perform cultic acts correctly, but instead equipped them to live in a way that was richly unconventional. He goes on to say in the book that by admitting people too quickly actually compromise the distinctive attractiveness of the church. Justin Martyr, 130 AD. Those who were found not living as he taught should know that they are not really Christians, even if they have his teachings on their lips. You know, for some people, it took three years to become admitted into the church community in this first 300 years. Three years to become a member. 
three years. You had to be sponsored in. You were taught how to live in serving others, caring for the poor. The Roman society was regularly tossing out babies to be exposed, kind of a, a modern, uh, an ancient form of abortion. Just throw them out. We don't want that child. Leave it to be exposed. It was the Christians who gathered those little babies and, and raised them up as their own. The elderly and infirm were discarded as well. No one wanted to care for them. So the church began to say, well, we, can't, we, we believe in humanity. We believe in caring for one another. They took these infirm people in and cared for them at the risk of getting themselves sick. It's the way they lived. It's how they behaved. It's how they treated one another. It's how they treated the stranger. It's how... In fact, Caesar saw it as a threat that this community of, of the church, they're not organized by any class or by any race or by any kind of way except by love. It was the greatest threat to the empire because there was no way to attack it from a power standpoint. Christians weren't always being thrown to the lions, by the way. In fact, historically, very few actually died that way the lions. The persecution they experienced was usually incited by a mob because they were always viewed suspiciously as outsiders, but they cared for each other in their community. First, they gathered regularly to worship and pray. They practiced hospitality. Even the strangers were peaceful in their community in every way. And people, the neighbors saw the way they lived and the way they felt and the way they were responding to the world around them. They're like, I, I, I gotta have that. How do you have that? Well, they were then taken into well, I'll teach you the faith. They only learned the gospel after they were willing to learn and commit to the way. They were all vetted before they were taught the gospel. They taught them how to be a peaceful person. It's what the church emphasized. But you'll never be a peaceful person, you and I, if we don't sit with Jesus. Sit with him. What would you give today for peace of mind? Christians were willing, pagans were becoming Christians even though it was risky because they wanted peace. Do secular people today, when they look at us, the church, and I'll close with this, and they look at you and I, do they say, you know, those Christians, people. We just got some peace. When they look at the church in America today, is that what they say? The most public face in America that I have seen in the last 15 or so years of the church is more reactive. And oftentimes we're leading the way in the freak out. Waving around. Look, signs are falling. The sky is falling. It's the end of the world. Look at all these signs. Look at this. It's the end. Hang on. Maybe we'll get in. I've now been around long enough to critique myself because I thought in 1982, according to Dr. Hal Lindsey, the world was coming to an end. Bees were not going to pollinate anymore. The, the worlds were going to collide. Earthquakes. I'm only 18 years old. I'm saying, God, please let me at least have sex before I die. Get, I mean, get married first, by the way. 
I married as a virgin. <laughs> That's the truth. We must learn to become a peaceful people characterized by the peace of God that comes because of who we firmly believe that he cares. In my opinion, our evangelistic efforts will lack credibility if we do not practice peace ourselves. Instead, what I see today, sadly, is a kind of triumphalism, tribal triumphalism in Christianity where we saddle up to those in power because we're not truly confident in the kingdom of God. My trust this morning, church, is not in our golden calf economy. My trust is not in a trillion-dollar defense budget and the Pentagon. It's in the armies of heaven. My trust is not in whoever seated at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It doesn't matter. I refuse to partake in any more donkey and elephant wars. It doesn't bring for peace. Because there's always going to be somebody disappointed, no matter who's in the White House. But if we exalt Jesus, and because we believe he cares. In fact, Paul writes to Thessalonians and says, be careful when they say, peace, peace. When when the empire says, we'll take care of you, look out. You don't see the, the, the knife. They're hiding behind the back. Be careful when the empire says, we'll take care of you. There's only one who's going to take care of you. And I truly trust him. And his name is Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. To these refugees who are in the world, cast all your care on him. For he cares for you. One more thing, quickly. The early church motto, as I was talking about this book, early church motto for 200 years was this. Listen to this motto. We don't speak great things, but we live them. We don't speak great things, we live them. What if we embodied peace in such a way that someone would say about you, you know, I've known that person a long time. You know, he doesn't freak out. She doesn't freak out. Instead of partaking in the hysteria and getting all wound up, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, I know, who, I know who's got me, and I'm ready to forgive and to love. Jesus never promises that you and I will never suffer. He never says that you and I will never suffer. He never says that. Any promise, some preacher, someone tells you you will never suffer is a liar. What Jesus does promise is that If and when you suffer, when you suffer, you will never be alone in it. That's what he promises. I'll be with you in it. He also promises your suffering will be redeemed. What you're going through is not pointless. What you're enduring is not for nothing. That's what he tells these people in the book of 1 Peter. God says, I'll make sure what you're going through, somehow it's going to be a benefit to you. It'll be redeemed in some way. My goodness, even Joseph saw that. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And thirdly, 
God will always enable you to bear it. Whatever it is in your life, he will enable you to bear it. Now, why do I know that's true? Because, I mean, just imagine, Peter is in prison, angel comes, he gets up and walks out. James goes to prison. If you're James's mother, aren't you like, I don't know about this providence of God. It seems a little sketchy to me, a little random, if you will. Because who gets saved and who doesn't? But that's not what James's mother said. It's not how she felt. It's not how the church reacted either. 1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all peace and grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen, perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever amen exactly how the lord's prayer ends for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever it's time church for us to come out and become distinctive in this world Yes, even in this beautiful country like America. This is not the city set on a hill. I know it's been said by a lot of presidents, but America is not the city set on a hill. The kingdom of God is the city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Let's, 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 pull our, let's remember we are refugees. And as beautiful as America is, and I'm not anti-America, I hope you don't hear that at all. But I have to tell myself all the time, it's still a beast. It's still a beast. It's still a beast. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning and pray, God, that you will bless our hearts and free us, God, from the anxiety. Stand to your feet. Free us, Lord, right now. Just take your, let's take our hands here. Just take your hands out of your pocket. Just shh. Shake them off a little bit right now. Say, Lord, we just shake off the dust of this world. We shake off the culture of this world, the, 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 the script, God, that we've been handed. God, we, shake, we recognize we've been born again, born from above. We've been put in the kingdom of God, and it's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of joy. God, let us live by that that you have given to us and truly shine as a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. We pray this. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. At this time, we'll do the dedication. Okay. Let me have one of them. <laughs> what I, this morning, part of this morning is also to rededicate in this house. You know, the one reason this building is here, in my understanding, the way I see it is, for people who drive by, and for those of us who come here to worship, it's a reminder that, hey, God did something. Come on. It's a reminder. Listen, heaven came to earth and did something here. He, he called a people together. People sacrificed and gave of their, of their resources, of their time, of their energy. And we did it, why? Because we believed that heaven opened and God did something here in West Boylston. And this building stands as, a, as, as an emblem of that. But this is not the church. You are the church. The building is a building. It's a sheep shed. It's just a house. A place where we gather.
but an important place. And we want to dedicate it this morning again to the purposes of the kingdom of God. And the reason I preach this message about peace this morning is I do believe it is the single thing that can truly make Freedom Worship Center distinctive in West Boston because I remember the banner that used to hang on the wall years ago. To heal the brokenhearted. Where is it? Oh, you remember it too. <laughs> I thought you were pointing to it. <laughs> oh, it's still there. It's still, let's say it together. To heal the brokenhearted. Now we can't be, have broken hearts to be healed and all of a sudden take on the conscript of the world again. No. We've got to encourage one another and love one another. And that's going to become very attractive because, because Mac, I see the church growing. But it's got to grow because these people become so attractive to your neighbors, people that you work with. It's like you're not freaking out. But if you get into, involved in all the freak out in the office politics and the freak out in town politics and the freak out of national debate and so forth, get just freaked out by all that and start parroting the, your favorite news channel journalist and so forth and quoting what you read in the editorial column, forget it. There shows your witness. Let's quote Jesus. Let's live Jesus. Let's believe for, for, for the kingdom of God's sake and be real examples of what it is to be set apart for him. So this morning I'm going to read, there's a part on the back where I, I'm going to want you to respond. It says congregation. That's you. I'm the minister, you're the congregation. At least for right now, okay? Here we go. We set apart this house to the worship of the living and true God and to the service of Jesus Christ our Lord. Here shall the word of God, which lives and abides forever, be preached. Here may all of God's children find a refuge from despair and ruin. May no discordant note of strife ever be heard within these walls. No unholy spirit of pride or worldliness find entrance here. May multitudes here be born to God. To the glory of God our Father, by whose favor we have, to the honor of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God and our Savior, to the praise of the Holy Spirit, source of life and light. For worship and prayer and song, for the ministry of the Word, for the observance of all the holy ordinances. To the sanctification of the family to the training and nurturing of child, childhood, to the inspiration of youth and the salvation of all. To the help of the needy, to the promotion of brotherhood, to the extension of the kingdom through the whole wide world. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Now, Pastor Mac. Well, as we were preparing for this weekend, uh, and we were sitting before the Lord, we were thankful for the house, but we're thankful for the body. The house is a house, but the body, and as we were rededicating, we were planning to rededicate the house, 